Hello and welcome to Rationally Writing. I'm Dave Starald. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 53, Horror. What do you find scary in fiction? Well, okay, so I saw Hereditary mm-hmm. a while back. That was like the scariest thing I've seen, but it wasn't just, it wasn't just like a fear thing, like a it made me like really anxious. Uh-huh. Like it, it gave me an anxiety that stayed with me for yeah. a few days. Yeah. Um, that's, I guess what I tend to find scary. Cause the, the horror operates on different types of fears, right? There's, there's horror that makes you anxious. There's mm-hmm. uh jump scares, mm-hmm. which aren't, you know, that's the generally regarded. And I regard it as that too, is a, a very cheap form of horror where you're just, right. You just, surprise someone yeah like it has its place but it's very often like overused to the point of now almost like if you can do a horror movie without any jump scares at all it's considered in my view anyway but like i think also widely considered like to be like like an accomplishment yeah yeah fear of the unknown i guess gets me sometimes Mm -hmm. like my own personal fears are like the the things i'm most afraid of are like dogs and deep water Mm -hmm. and needles that's my like those are the three things that that frightened me most, but they're not like, I don't know. Uh, did you ever see the, the abyss or read the abyss, which is a, is a book by, uh, Michael Crichton before it was a movie, but I think so. Was that the one where the creatures start showing up and then disappearing like the giant squid and the like millions of shrimp and stuff or something? You know what? I'm thinking of the abyss was a different deep water movie. Uh, <laughs> sphere was the one by, by sphere. Michael. Crichton. Yes. That's the one that, it was, that was also a movie as well. <laughs> yeah. That being that deep. Yeah. In well that and in hospital environments yeah, in yeah, general, yeah. But like space is super inhospitable, but I think it's rare for a movie to sell that, right? Right. There's the mix of isolated plus inhospitable. Like isolated is is a common trope in horror in a large part because it gives you that sense of like, you know, there's no help coming. Like whatever's going to happen is like confined to like a certain location. Inhospitable plus isolated, you know, everything from like The Shining in terms of like there being like a blizzard around the isolated cabin to whether it's like in the ocean or in space. Yeah, like, you know, unless the environment itself is, is used against them in some way. Like, it could, it could just be in, like, a locked facility somewhere. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't usually matter that it's in space unless, like, aliens are involved. Yeah. The thing is, it takes place in Antarctic yep. Yep. Research mm-hmm. Station. I think for space, it, the reason I don't find it that scary of an environment is because you're usually just, like, if you're dead, you're just gonna die really fast from, <laughs> like, it is isolated, but there, it's not, you know, I, I don't I don't I don't tend to find space to be a scary environment. I find extremely deep water because it plays my my like deep water fears that yep. like not being able to see anything, being so far down, the crushing pressure, the like all these systems that are keeping you alive that might fail. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the Arctic, occasionally, I thought the movie Pitch Black, yes, which is like the first of the rig. They they do it in kind of like a desert mm-hmm. environment, which is much more rare. But I don't know. It's for me. It's generally uh, what I find scary is if a book or a film can build on that sense of of dread of like something wrong happening and like you know no, nothing being able to prevent it. Yes, I guess. Scariest book I probably read was uh, House of Leaves. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, lack of control, I think, is, is the way I would put that for myself. Like the, when, when it's clear that there's no control over the environment, there's no control over the, the, the situation, it's very, it's much easier for anxiety to start creeping up and then for fear to be layered over that if there's something going on. So there's, there's one movie I remember watching somewhat recently that was like creepy 
Uh, I don't know if I was ever, like, scared, scared. It's been a while since I felt that while while watching something or reading something. But, like, It Follows. Do you know what that one is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this was this is basically a movie about a preacher that is invisible to everyone except for the people who it's targeting and the people who it's targeting. It's like, it's kind of like a magical STD. Like, if you've had sex with someone who has been targeted by the creature or who has had sex with someone who's been targeted by the creature, you know, ad infinitum along the chain, at some point the creature will kill its way towards its most recent, the most recent person who's had sex with someone infected, quote unquote. And then they can, I think everyone who's, who's been infected can see it, but uh, it will only go after the person who's most the who was the farthest on the list until it gets to the most recent person and it has not it's not fast it's not i mean it's kind of strong actually it's not fast it's very it like goes at a walking pace and it's just implacable like you uh, is that how you say that word implacable uh you can't stop it it's just a completely unstoppable force that moves at a walking pace and will follow you literally and, and anywhere on the earth constantly it kind of like for me it kind of mixed this idea of like the fear i remember from watching like the terminator movie with kind of like a supernatural element to it. The idea of being, you could be in like a crowded police station, brightly lit, middle of the day, and there's just nothing that can save you if it, if you're in the wrong circumstance, right? Like if it's there and you can't get away from it, it'll kill you. Yeah. And yeah, it was just like, it's like a, there were some moments in it that were really well done to kind of, kind of impress upon that. Like you don't have to be in an isolated environment. You don't have to be in a secluded, like hostile area. If the thing that, that's causing the fear is itself uncontrollable and unstoppable. And so for me, that's, I think that's, that w- that's a movie that kind of helps solidify what I find f- scary about certain circumstances. And so like any, anything that I've been scared of in the past that I think back on, like those, that does tend to be like the running theme for me. There's an episode of Doctor Who called, um, Midnight. It's about him being on a transport on the middle of a, in, in a planet, on a planet that, again, isolated, again, harsh environment, like, the planet is being bombarded by radiation to the point where, like, if you step outside, um, you, you'll be, like, instantly vaporized or whatever. But, like, you know, it's, like, a beautiful diamond planet, so, like, those tourists that go around in, like, these very protected shuttles and stuff. And while he's on one of the, one of the shuttles, just, like, being a tourist, something, some creature that shouldn't be able to survive, like, somehow, like, you know, possesses one of the people on the shuttle and starts acting in a really creepy way. And everyone's freaking out and don't know what to do. And the doctor, who is normally very brilliant and charismatic and can, like, talk people into anything and, like, can, like, get control of situations. Like, he, over the course of the episode, you just see him losing control of the situation. Like, he can't calm people down. The suspicion starts turning on each other, starts turning on him. And, like, something about watching him, of all people, lose that control and then have people, like turn their suspicion on, like, target their suspicion at him in such a way. Like, it was genuinely unsettling watching it happen. And, yeah, I mean, it's one of my favorite episodes of, like, any TV show, just because of that. So, yeah, for me, for me, like, a a good horror story is one where the lack of control is, like, felt by the viewer. Yeah. Um, so, if we want to talk about rational mm-hmm. horror, or, or how to how to do horror in rational fiction, um, I think if we take, if we take rational fiction to mean, like, kind of, thinky fiction. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons that people don't do rational horror as often is because if you think about and define things, you kind of have a tendency to take away some of the fear, mm-hmm. right? If you are thinking, if you are thinking logically, if you're like trying to work within the balance of the problem, I, I don't think that you have to like erase that right. element entirely, but I think it becomes more difficult to write. There are in any horror movie, you, you kind of set up the rules for, for the horror. Yep. I, 
I guess you don't you don't always set up the rules. It's very common for for them to set up the rules so that you can you know play with those rules so that, that can add to the sense of apprehension. So you can set up some stakes and and have goals for the characters. I think it was one of the Nightmare on Elm Streets. You know he he attacks in dreams and stuff, mm-hmm. right? And so then the a lot of the horror comes from this inevitability of sleep. Yes, yeah. Which I mean, you, you, you can set up, you can set up that rule, right? That if they fall asleep, they're, you know, there's a good chance that they'll die, right? Or, mm-hmm. or that they, you know, have to figure out some way to control their dreams or whatever. And then you can work within that framework and have like thought devoted to that and have that be your, mm-hmm. your thinky fiction. It's just the other aspect of it is that that sense of like dread of not being able to do things mm-hmm. kind of goes counter to what I think a lot of people like about rational fiction, which is proactive characters who are pursuing their goals in that way. Right. Whereas if you are in a horror scenario, you are almost always being the reactor. React- yeah. Yeah. The, the reactor. Right. It's kind of, you know, uh, heroes are often reactive, but um, horror protagonists are especially reactive and they can't have that many victories, I guess. Like, yeah. Like over the course of the story that like the victory, if there's going to be one should come at the end to, to provide that catharsis that, horror sometimes delivers on yeah the first the first scary book i remember like first book i remember reading that scared me really uh was uh salem's lot new england town you know vampire comes to town starts taking over the town little by little and just like seeing that happen while most people are unaware of what's happening was like creepy but also then that sense of like you have these characters who are just trying to survive and there are very very clear losses like as the story is going on. Yeah. There's almost no moment where you feel like, okay, everyone, you know, people are in control. They have a plan. They know what's going to, you know, what's going to work and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That, that's one of the things that I think in the typical plot progression of a horror story is you have losses that kind of pile up on each other. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like loss after loss after right, loss. Cause right. that's, you know, that drives the plot and that, keeps the tension high and that is unique to horror as a genre i think like almost almost any other story the the you know unless it's like a tragedy but like almost any other story you you kind of you you kind of need that up and down mood swing whereas horror yeah. is almost defined by the fact that like 13 people stuck in a house little one by one they start getting killed off whatever uh like that idea of of that ongoing fear being just ratcheted up every time and it's it is kind of hard to to write a rational protagonist in a circumstance like that, because if they're not winning, you know, if we if we if we look at the idea that like rationality is winning, which is which like as a as a quote like has some value, even if it's it's like overly pithy at times. Like I, I think it it's a very valuable lens through which to view the word. I think like you can't actually really win that much in horror, like you said. So like what you're left with is a character who is kind of reacting as best they can to the bad things that are happening. Like, they're doing all the things that they could possibly be doing to mitigate the bad stuff that's happening without quite solving it or or even necessarily making a lot of progress. Because once they start making progress, like, that sense of horror is going to start feeling much more abated. Yeah. I mean, you can pair, you can pair progress with setbacks, yeah. right? Like, every, every bit of progress comes with costs to it. Um, I think that's... Or, or it comes, the change in circumstance comes with a kind of a change in horror. Mm-hmm. That's still, yeah, that is quite hard to do in a convincing way. Mm-hmm. There's a few good, uh, ones that I've read anyway. I'm sure there's more that I haven't. Like Cordyceps, like, attacks 
actually, now I think about it, a lot of the a lot of the horror, the rationalist horror that I've read, or rationalish horror that I've read, they focus on something affecting your thinking, like something affecting your 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 sanity itself, uh, or your memory or something, because that is like an inherent inherent lack of control plus inherent like you know scary things, particularly for people who value thinking so much or thinking clearly. Um, so like cordyceps is one where it's like a you know a mimetic um, issue, and so like it's very hard to plan around it or deal with it because just thinking about it itself can be you know un it can be unavailable to you like you can't actually even like use your rationality necessarily. There was one of the HBMR spinoffs. I think it was Ginny Weasley and the Chamber of Secrets. Was, I had some problems with the story, but the it did actually do the horror portion of it very well. The whole like like not being sure what was happening because of um like memory shenanigans and and I thought that was actually really well done. There was a, there was like a short story about like visiting a planet and like having some kind of like um infection about like beauty or something like that. But I can't remember what it was. Yeah, that was an I think an Alicorn one. Mm-hmm. Um, there is uh Sam Hughes does the anti memetics. Yes, yes, the SCP ones. SCP ones and SCP in general is not <laughs> yeah. necessarily. It it is more rational than I think average, yeah. in terms of like how much thought is applied to these things. But a part of it is just the the framing is an intelligent organization attempting to secure and contain essentially un unpredictable or un unnatural phenomenon. Yeah, or not even necessarily unpredictable, but some of it, uh, I, a lot of a lot of SCP horror comes in the way that information is conveyed. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like the, the, they have these articles on these anomalies that will usually not just outright state what the anomaly is. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll go and they'll give information on like dimensions and, uh, description. And then they might go into like, you know, when it was first encountered. And I think that helps build up this sense of like dread in it because you're, mm-hmm. you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, which I think is good technique. Uh, yeah. As far as like writing yeah. horror in general is, is you want to, you want to do a lot of foreshadowing. At least that's what works for me. Cause you, you, you just want notes of something being subtly off. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're on the SP, SCP wiki, you know that it's, you know, usually something terrible, right? <laughs> right? But it's like in movies, they, they will do that a lot by drawing your attention to, you know, little subtly off details that service foreshadowing for later and, and help to build that sense of dread because you know yeah. it's going to be something bad. Yeah, Hereditary did that, I think, really well is is that just build up these like tiny little wrong things that aren't even necessarily mm-hmm. they're, they're not necessarily like horrific by themselves, but they, they build that sense of uneasiness and dread. So I think that's like just a general horror technique that you could apply to rational fiction. You just need that to be kind of as you are setting up your framework for it. Yes. I also think horror tends to work best as short stories. I think like novel length horror is a lot more difficult to do. Absolutely, yeah. Part of what we just talked about in terms of the the structure of loss after loss after loss, like it's hard to it's hard to maintain horror for that long with that kind of plot structure. With sequel movies, like we'll 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 usually the sequels usually have like entirely new cast of characters because like pretty much everyone from the previous ones are dead. Um, yeah. So like if you're doing like a long form story. Like you, you would have to keep introducing new characters, and and it would be rather difficult to maintain any momentum with like, yeah, yeah. Also, so a lot of a lot of what makes horror horror, like maybe the first half of the movie or book or whatever, is that you don't really know what's happening yet fully, 
and yeah. you learn little by little along with the characters what the actual what the monster is, what the what the danger is, whatever it is. And so once that knowledge becomes known, it becomes much oftentimes much less of a horror situation and more of like a survival or an action even sometimes um situation. And so like if you if you have like a, a like a you know long form serial or even a novel length horror story, once it gets to the point where the the thing is known more, it's gonna kind of stop being horror until unless something like changes or something major changes in the story. Yeah, a lot of classical horror, uh, like slasher movies especially, are just mysteries rather than, you know, working on the sense of, of dread. Because you are going through and then people, you know, they're red herrings and someone is sometimes even just trying to solve a mystery of who the killer is. Right. And suspects are being eliminated one by one. And it's in the form of a mystery much more than it's in the form of that, like, ratcheting right. horror and you know obviously for slasher movies they rely on gore which you can do in in fiction like mm-hmm. prose fiction too it's i you can do body horror as its own kind of separate thing but uh you you rely on jump scares and you rely on a lot of shot manipulation of like scene composition so that the audience knows things that the protagonist doesn't and mm-hmm. then you like mix in a fight i i i i like one of the first slasher movies i watched was scream because mm-hmm. they were kind of like they're kind of already fading <laughs> by the time. Mm-hmm. Early 2000s? It's, yeah, I think early 2000s. It might have been late 90s. But it is a deconstruction. Yeah. Or at least it's like an homage to, to slashers. It's a, it's like metatextual and kind of destroyed the slasher movie for a while. Right? Because mm-hmm. people were just like, oh, you know, it's kind of, it, it wasn't like that scary, I guess. Yeah, it was the, the genre of slasher movies as a as a horror trope that is the like you know x x set of characters being picked off one by one i guess would be like you know like there are other movies like that that are not that maybe not wouldn't be called like a slasher movie like alien but i think alien still fits that mold of like you know there's a there's a mysterious quasi unstoppable force that's just picking off um people one by one yeah i think that i think the difference for slasher is that it's usually a person Rather than necessarily a supernatural entity, but yeah, but that, that line is super is. blurry because yeah. <laughs> like Jason it, and like right. Myers and yeah, but yeah, the, having it be not supernatural is sometimes a little that allows you to have more plot resolution, mm-hmm. unless you, I guess, are going to banish the evil or or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I've wrote, written anything that would be considered horror. I've done, I, I, I used to do it a lot more than I do nowadays. I used to, um, DM World of Darkness, uh, tabletop games. It's, I mean, it's my favorite system to, to play in, but it does tend towards horror. Yeah. And I enjoy a lot of the tropes that I could play with, with horror. I've written, I, I, uh, the, the thing that I, that I wrote, the vampire story that I wrote is like, was kind of like my, my quasi rational attempt on, and vampires before I even knew what rational fiction was. Yeah. And like the idea of, you know, if you have characters that are trying to solve the mystery of what's happening, uh, which, you know, most tabletop campaign players would, would, will be trying to do, like, right? They're trying to like figure out like what's the, what's the thing killing us or what's the thing that's like the danger or like the challenge that we're up against or what are these like cryptic, you know, messages that we're finding? You know, is it vampires? Is it Cthulhu? Is it ghosts? Like, what is this? Like that idea of, of playing with the, with the expectations of them, I think is, the funnest part of writing horror for me, uh, where you're like, you're not just like setting clues or setting expectations like you would in any other kind of fiction. You're doing it specifically in a way that's meant to like 
not necessarily gross out or not necessarily like strike fear in that moment, but more like make them uneasy. Like that yeah. rising set of unease, like little by little. But if they're compelled to continue, either because they're enjoying the story or they're enjoying the characters or if it's a tabletop game, so obviously like, you know, they want to keep playing. That compel- being compelled to continue despite the fear or despite the danger, I think is a lot of what makes writing it interesting. Because you want to you wanna get people's natural curiosity and, and kind of use it against them. Uh, that's the way I always saw it anyway. Because the idea of, of like, you know, most horror, most horror stories can, can be stopped by just having characters, you know, just leave the haunted house immediately or just like, you know, call the police right away or something like that. Like there's, there's usually something that like in most horror stories that, that you can do just immediately off the bat that would be like, nope, just noping out of this whole situation and everything's fine now. But like a good, a good horror story, you can't quite do that because there are compelling reasons to continue. You know, whether it's like because you don't necessarily think something dangerous is happening just yet or, because someone's in danger and you want, like, you're like braving the danger to, to save them. You know, whatever it is. You, you kind of want to have a good motivation in place, especially for rational fiction, I would say, obviously. You want to have a good motivation in place for why the characters are dealing with the, the clearly dangerous and, and scary thing that they're dealing with. Yeah. I think at the same time, you, you really need to make sure that your protagonist has at least some fear. Yes, so you can, like, yes. have empathic fear through the character. Cause you can, you can put a, a character in a, like, horrific situation and just have them meet it head on as mm-hmm. like a you know competent and proactive individual <laughs> yeah and then it's not you know it's not it's it's not really horror it's just it's worm <laughs> well it's someone going up against a threat yeah that, that might be creepy or make you squeamish but it's not there won't be as much that sense of of fear yeah if your if your protagonist is not feeling it at all yeah i might have mentioned this on the podcast already but while i was reading worm i i afterward obviously i can look back on it and be like oh yeah it's a super grimdark story uh, but while i was reading worm i did not feel like it was grimdark at all and the reason was because taylor the protagonist is just so she's like i love her so much like she's like just constantly just looking at like okay what next? Like, what, what's the next thing I can do? How can I prepare for the next danger? You know, like, what can I, like, how can I do the best I can with what I have for the people I can save? Like, and that kind of attitude is, you know, it's great in a protagonist, but it's also, like, kind of antithetical to, like, really feeling afraid or, or like, horror of any kind. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think if I had to sit down and write a horror story right now that was, like, actually a horror story instead of, because my my instinct when taking horror tropes is just to turn them into fantasy, I guess, or or like a thriller. Because I I have I wrote a novella, I think it's about how long it is. It's like a vampire novella, Contrato. Yep. Which is like, but that's kind of not horror story. Like there are horror elements into it mm-hmm. in it, and it's, but it's more drama than horror. In in terms of it's not, you don't get it. It's not scary. They're, it's not trying to scare you through reveals or anything like that. Like you, you kind of, you kind of know as it's happening what's happening. Yeah, and if there's a sense of dread, it's pretty muted, mm-hmm. kind of by design. There's, there, like, what I was going for is like a, a sense of of loss of control, but it's like an institutional loss of control, right? right? Like, like you work for a company and you don't decide what that company does, and you're kind of beholden to it, and that's not really a horror thing. <laughs> that's <laughs> it's it's um. There were movies that like are kind of famous for this. One of them was um Sorry to Bother You. That was that's the newest one. The newer oh yeah, one. yeah. Uh, Sorry to Bother You is a movie that does this. Yeah, it's I think. And then I I, I wrote I'm um, like I don't know forty thousand fifty thousand words into a different story that's mm-hmm. about vampires. Vampires have taken over 
you know, the world and, right. but, but it's not, again, it's not horror. It's thriller, right? Because it's competent protagonists who are using their abilities to fight against like this, this threat. And the, the fact that it is a traditional horror threat doesn't mean that it's, doesn't mean that's horror because it's not, it's not going for that, you know, that fear or anxiety that horror is usually trying to provoke. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I read it back a while ago because I was trying to, I've been trying to dust off and finish old projects. Um, but I, I read it back and I was like, Oh, you know, this isn't scary at all. I, I hadn't thought it was scary, but I was like, this is like really not, mm-hmm. you never feel fear. You feel maybe some tension for like action scenes and stuff, but that's not, they're just action scenes. They're right. not horror scenes. Dystopian fiction can kind of do this too. This like, low-key background anxiety, like, rising anxiety. I remember, like, 1984 made me feel this way when I first read it. It was, like, it wasn't quite horror, but it definitely was unnerving in a way that was, like, you kind of just have this ongoing sense of something wrong. Someone, I mean, they can get caught at any moment. It's, like, kind of tense and, like, stressful and, like, all that kind of stuff. And, like, it's objectively a kind of horrifying situation. It just doesn't trigger the idea of being a horror story because, like, a lot of the traditional... um like horror tropes isn't, aren't there. Yeah, and um, I think a lot of spy movies mm-hmm. can sometimes do that. That the, the that paranoia, if yeah, they bake paranoia, that into right. it, you can you can have that same feeling of of fear and anxiety. But yeah, like there are a lot of different ways to write a spy story, right? It can be a, a drama about uh, about loyalties and about losing your sense of self. Or you can make it a horror story of the, the like fear and tension of like, will I get caught? Can I trust people? Just like waiting for the hammer to come down, mm-hmm. basically. Or you can just write it as like a thriller with lots of, you know, cons and, and set pieces and stuff. So I think to me, horror is mostly about tone and it's, it's kind of in how you execute much more than anything else. But yeah, if I had to sit down and write horror, it would, it would mostly be about that like, that like fear of the unknown and the more that you know the more like desperate and anxious it is yeah making like tur- in in terms of turning rationalist strengths against us um so to speak like if you know if what sets rationalist fiction apart tends to be the thinky protagonist who is good at finding optimal solutions and munchkinry and all that kind of stuff then whatever like taking the tools of of critical thinking and social coordination and genre savviness and all that kind of stuff and kind of turning them against the the reader or the the protagonist i think is pretty effective yeah well and it's not just like i don't know like the, the deeper you dig the the more severe you realize the problem is and so it doesn't like it doesn't help you because that just ma- makes you realize how much you know how much more dire the problem is I think that's probably the, the type of escalation I would go for. Right. Other directions that you can take it also are having the inevitability angle played up. Like, if there really is nothing that you can do, uh, there, were, there were segments of Raw that were actually kind of fairly horror-ish. Um, if, there's, if there really is, like, nothing that you can do, or it seems like there's nothing that you can do, and all you can do really, if your optimal plays really is are just to, like, miti- mitigate losses as best you can, like just retreat and retreat and retreat and mitigate losses as best you can. Um, that can be fairly horrifying. Uh, I yeah. mean, that's kind of what a lot of, a lot of zombie apocalypse, apocalypse, um, circumstances, like what, what makes them so scary is that, that idea of like, there's just an inevitable grind. 
and the rational ideal, I guess, of like, you know, the power fantasy of the, of the zombie apocalypse is not necessarily going to be attainable, depending on the type of zombie, especially, uh, of being able to like, you know, find a place that's, you know, securable and like coordinate with people and like build up your resources and strength and like stuff like that. Like if all you really can do is, is survive as best you can, like that bleakness can make for a good, maybe depressing, but a good, a good horror story even for uh, characters that are doing their best to, to figure out and acting in the most optimal way. Yeah. And yeah, if even if you're acting in optimal way, like that emotional component of fear and anxiety, you can still definitely include that in. Yeah. Like pretty easily. E- even if you have a character who is very competent at, at what they're doing, they can still look at the, you know, their situation and feel fear and danger. Mm-hmm. Because I think, I think the emotional component is more, what horror is about than necessarily anything else. But um, one of the things that I kind of have been looking at lately is sort of that element of, we'll probably do an episode on this at some point, but that, that element of rational fiction being at the object level of like what is literally happening in the world and a lot of other fiction just being about um, the kind of the subject level or, or the metaphorical level where it's just about like the feelings evoked by it mm-hmm. rather than, you know, the literal thing that, that happened. Hereditary is actually a great example of that in that it is like the rules don't really like what what's happening on the object level of, of the movie doesn't matter that much. What everyone's goals are and what everyone was trying to accomplish is basically not the point at all. Mm hmm. It's, it's sort of, it's that building of, of tension and that building of fear is all about people's internal emotional states rather than, it's not, they aren't really problems that you can, that they can think their way out of, right? Right. And, and, and like that, the thinking is not the point of it. Which I, that's not, you know, that's, that's not a useful lesson for, for trying to make <laughs> rational horror, but that is, I think, how a lot of horror will operate is that it's not about, thinking through the problem. Yeah. I mean, this ties back to lack of control and inevitability, right? Like inevitability yeah. because of lack of control, lack of control because of whatever the reason that you don't have the control is. Like a lot of, you can get a lot of mileage out of horror just from having something horrific happening to people around the main character that they can't stop. Yeah. Like you said, like the emotional reactions of the, of the protagonist are, are really what you're going to be seeing the world through and empathizing through. You get a lot of really interesting ideas for horror from like things like what if you had to i mean there's a couple movies like this recently that was like the quiet place and bird box and stuff where like you couldn't use noise like you couldn't make any noise or you couldn't see them otherwise like you get affected or stuff like that usually poorly executed obviously in in movie form but like they present interesting challenges for a thinky kind of protagonist but there's no real victory it's really just do your best with the in in the horrific situation that you find yourself in yeah and part of what a quiet place does really well is sort of builds the tension that mm-hmm. way because uh, there's there's always this like foreshadowing of like the, that's just inherent in creating this rule that you can't make noise right because then the, you're then yes. you're waiting the whole time and you're listening and i like it wouldn't work in a book nearly as well mm-hmm. right because they're they're just is so so based on on sound and sound design is such an important part of the movie but you are there's there's always that in the back of your mind like you are waiting for there to be a sound. And then when the sound does come, you instantly get that apprehension because you know that that 
it's going to lead to something like it's going to lead to this panic. Yeah. I think you can do that in other, I think you can do that in fiction. Um, it's just a bit harder because you need to like remind the audience that they're kind of like waiting for this. I mean, the, the, each medium has its own strengths and that, I mean, you're right. That is definitely a, a strength of film to be able to make a movie like the quiet place for written things. It would probably be more about, I mean, house of leaves kind of does this, the, the seeing, in in a way that like films films can do madness really well. Uh, in the mouth of madness actually is a movie that I I really enjoyed and I found like really creepy when I watched it a long time ago. Like films obviously can do madness really well, but seeing someone's thoughts become more and more erratic, become more and more like like when you see like a train like a, a like a flow of consciousness kind of you know narrative, uh, and you spot something obviously wrong with like like a, like a weird word shows up or like something something clearly off shows up in the narrative but the person writing it clearly doesn't notice yeah like that's a like that's a very powerful creepy thing that you can do in written form that's very hard to do in in films well not not hard to do but i think it just doesn't have the same impact in film yeah and i think prose you can control your speed a lot better and you can you get, can definitely control focus a lot better yeah in in terms of you know what your quote camera unquote is pointing at mm-hmm. um no it's it's i i mean I, i've read things that i found horrifying oh the other thing that uh, the other benefit of prose is that you can do abstract a lot better especially things that yes. you know are, are much more conceptual than they are visual yeah this is why hp lovecraft um kind of stories are notoriously hard to make good films about i mean in the mouth of madness actually is one of the few that i've watched that i actually thought was really well done but like it's very hard to convey the existential horror and abstract horror of, of Cthulhu creatures. I think you actually wrote a really good post. Was it you that wrote a good post on this and about um, like nth dimensional beings and like how we, we see them? I don't know. <laughs> there was some really good post uh, in the subreddit, I think, about how um, what makes what makes Cthulhu monsters so scary is like what you're seeing of them. Like it's not just like tentacles are scary or like a hundred eyes are scary or whatever. It's just that the thing that you're seeing is just what fits in our dimension of the being that's so large and so extra dimensional that like it's it would literally break your mind to understand what it is and so yeah. like when when a person in a book is is describing this you kind of get this much more than if you're just like watching a film about someone like seeing a bunch of tentacles and like freaking out it's like yeah, yeah. tentacles are scary but like it's not it's not a, it's not really the tentacles in the eyes it's the it's the thing that you're experiencing as you're seeing them that you can only watch a, a, someone do in a movie, but you can experience with them in a in a book. Yeah. I, did you read uh, John Dies at the end? I did not. Okay. Uh, it holds a special place in my heart. It's one of the first um, pieces of web fiction. It was actually a web serial before mm-hmm. it became a like actual published book. It was mm-hmm. one of the first I I read, and it's a, a horror, kind of a, a comedy horror mm-hmm. thing. But uh, there was lot lots of passages where he kind of is talking about you know being in front of a mirror. And having this feeling in the in his peripheral peripheral vision of like a shadow man, and knowing that if he looks, there will be nothing there. But but you know that that's kind of where the shadow men live. Mm-hmm. And that is the kind of thought that is incredibly difficult to 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 put to film or yes. or to to do in any other medium than the written word because it's so it's so like introspective and sort of existential and personal yeah it's it's in written form you can do a lot more with perception and 
I mean, you know, movies are about hearing and seeing. Uh, in, in written form, you have not just, you know, the other senses, but also you can do things like that are like kind of mental. Yeah. I've been told Worth the Candle has some ex- existential horror that works for people, but that's not like the main point of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that, that I think existential horror is one thing that you is easier to do in prose. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I, the strengths of different mediums I think about a lot, especially because I think I'll probably watch more movies and television than I do, than I read books, at least at this point. Gotcha. Because usually writing, usually like what would be reading time becomes writing time. So. Yeah, whereas TV and movies are much easier to do while doing other things. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think that's it for now. Yeah, I think that's all, all I have. I should try writing a horror story. <laughs> most, most of what I do right now that is horror related comes from I do I do like a lot of one on one role playing with individuals. Yep. And where well, I'm like the DM and they're like the player character in the world. Uh, and again, it's like World of Darkness and stuff. And that's how I kind of get my like writing writing horror fix because it's it's really fun to do. Um, yeah. In that in that in that sense. Yeah, I ran a Call of Cthulhu campaigns mm-hmm. a few times, so it's it's very hard to get proper horror out of it. Like you need you need buy in from the yeah. players. Yeah. And and for them to just like have any semblance of fear whatsoever especially if they are familiar with the tropes of of cthulhu yeah yeah you can have things be like creepy but that doesn't necessarily translate into horror you, you can have you can have horrific things which are horrific right but that are, don't won't won't provoke fear i guess that's probably one of the reasons i enjoy fae stories so much because fae can do the way fae the way fairy creatures do horror has a very unique twist to it and also the tropes are not as widely known as other horror tropes. So that adds like an extra element of fun for me. Yeah. Yeah, so don't know what we're going to do next episode, but hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we might do another horror episode at some point if there's like stuff we realize we hadn't like covered or something. Thanks for listening. Yep. Bye.